Believe it or not, it's a town called Flin Flon, exactly in the middle of Canada. Flin Flon is built on solid rock, and one of the first things we noticed were the boxed-in sewer pipes. Above ground, we'd never seen anything like it before. Aloha, good-looking people. Rafael Serey, Bebe here, Sewer Box Office Podcast, of course, here with the co-hostess with the mostest in a very fetching Leonard Skinnerd blouse. Yes, good Susan, day. Susan Gunn, Kazoob Cheddar, Serey, <laughs> Bablani, oh, Oglethorpe. That's a new one. Yes. Hmm. So uh, we're just uh, hanging the out here. The blouse is fetching as well. Huh? It's... it's uh, it's horizontal, so it gives and me stoutness. It's a nautical. It's very nautical. Yes. You're looking it, very nautical. It's something I would wear while we, while listening to Yacht Rock. Ah, Yacht Rock. What do we mean by Yacht Rock? Oh, well, you're going to have to keep on listening to find out, because we have got a tremendous chat upcoming with uh, Flin Flon music icon, Susan Lethbridge, who came here to Studio B in our kitchen table, and... Uh, Boy, she has done, like, everything. She has been a lot of places and worked with a lot of very fascinating people and done a lot of really cool things. And we've uh, talked to her about that. So that's one of the points why we have this podcast here, is to get people... I know we're very humble in this community. We should boast about our, our hockey team. We should boast about our mine rescue team. We should boast about the quality of our boardwalk. And we should all stop what you're doing. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm paying attention. All right, so we are going to have... Because we had Brent on earlier. We did. And so this is sort of Susan's take on some of the stuff Brent says, some of the stuff she's done. So I think this may be another thrilling two-parter, like for Sweeps Week. Ooh. Ooh, yes, for for big podcast ratings. So uh, this is going to be Susan Gunn's... Not Susan Lethbridge, I'll do it. Susan's everywhere. I know, we're everywhere. This is another magical thing about Flin Flon. The name Susan is dying out everywhere except here. I know. Susan's, Linda's, Jennifer's, everywhere you look. Where are the honuses? (laughs) Where are the barrels? So we've uh, got a chat here with Susan Lethbridge. This is part one. This is kind of about uh, early days of her as a youngster in Flin Flon and then her hitting the road... Playing with super famous people and being a Susan, super Susan rock star. No nodding on the podcast here, Susan. Susan We need need audible. It can't be nodding and waving. It doesn't work. All right. So uh, me and Susan sat down with Susan and it's going a little something like this. So you are Flin Flon through and through? Flin Flon through and through. So what was the town like when you were just like a youngster? Was it more hustling and bustling or? There was a lot more people here. There was a, a lot of people here. Main Street was like happening. And, and because people did shift work at the mine, you could be uptown at like 10 o'clock at night, midnight, and the streets were full, right? You could go for somewhere, you know, to eat at 1 o'clock. Of course, I wasn't doing that because I was too little. But really, the streets were bustling and there was a lot going on. So was there a lot of, were you growing up in the era of the Glee Club and all that? I grew up in the era of the Glee Club, but I was not part of it. Uh, My dad was, and we saw it. Uh, I wanted to be a part of it, but I think he was just happy to get a break from the kids. You know, at that point, he was not looking to get the kids involved in his extracurricular uh, activities. So did you sing from a young age? Oh, completely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I was. I sang right out of the womb. I was just always a singer, and, and my dad was my first fan. Okay. Yeah. And so was this 
pop music? Was this jazz music? Uh, was, I remember the first song we ever uh, learned together was uh, Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree with Anyone Else But Me. Anyone Else But Me. And so, yeah, that was the Andrews Sisters. And uh, so How much is the doggy in the window? Is that like no, that all Doris that. Day? And... Doris Day. Like my, my dad's sisters, they were Doris Day. In particular, his sister from California. Oh, she was gorgeous. She could sing Kesara, Sara, like nobody's business. And she was just completely sophisticated, you know, for a Saskatchewan farm girl, because they grew up in Saskatchewan. But uh, they were super musical, and, and we sang with, with my dad and all of his sisters. So, what, records? Was that a big deal? Or did oh. you just have this? Oh, well, like, yeah. What was the. Because TV was kind of. There one, was, one channel, maybe. There was and... no TV uh, up until 1963 for us. So I was born in 55, so, you know, we didn't have TV in the early days. And then even when we did, there was, like you say, one station, you know. So TV wasn't a big thing, but my dad had probably the best stereo of anybody Is that like around. the big, long one, the size of like a coffin? He had that <laughs> one, and then he had the first, like, separate component stereo. Ooh. Of anybody, like a high fidelity. Knew. totally with like the separate speakers that were completely cool, and 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 this was how he took care of us was was basically okay, girls. Here's Benny Goodman, all right. <laughs> here's here's Doris Day. Here's you know uh, Ella Fitzgerald. Here's you know uh, all all the, all the jazz greats. So did you get to at least like see these Glee Club productions? Oh yeah. Remember? Oh first front row. And oh yeah, for were sure. They... Like, I guess for the year, like, like a high standard. Completely inspiring, man. I loved it. And so my dad would come to the kitchen door, you know, and he'd be in full makeup and we'd rush out. And hi, dad. And so excited before the show. And oh, it was a very big deal. And they did an amazing job. You know, they were, they were the real deal. And they had some great singers. In fact, one of their singers, uh, Dorothy Liss, was just became a huge friend of mine. And the one year I was in the Flin Flon Glee Club, I sat next to her, like stuck to her like glue because she was amazing. And she could do Summertime like nobody's business. She did the best version of Summertime I ever heard. And she was one of Flin Flon's greats, really. And so they did the, the, the big like musicals. This was like, I oh, guess, yeah. can you get your gun? Music and, Man. And, okay. Yeah, yeah. Brigadoon. That's and, right. Yes. Yeah, there was lots. Uh, the only one that I found heartbreaking was um, Sound of Music when I saw there's children up there and hey, I could I'm be one kid. of them. I'm a singer. Why, why am I not up there? But like I say, I think Dad was just sort of looking for a break, you know? Well, that's what, yeah, we were talking to Mark and Crystal and that's what they said sort of like now with the community choir in these productions. This is like, it's like grown-up recess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you can't come to recess. Why not? Because I remember... We do our share of following the girlies. Yeah, we, and there, there's we a lot of that. We their share of rehearsals and, 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 and dress rehearsals. One of my... Makeup. Yeah. <laughs> One of my sons was involved in Joseph when we did Joseph. Oh, okay. And that was kind of... Uh, that was interesting to have him. We opened up the show and that was great. I think he was about seven. So you... Let's get... We have like, we have like the meeting of Mark and Crystal, which is like we said, the meeting of Smith and Wesson... You and Brent, like the meeting of A&W, you guys met when you were when just I was like, teenagers? Yeah, like just before I was 13. Oh, was he 13 too? He was 14. Oh, oh boy. Oh, scandalous. And you know, I, I knew, I already knew when I was going to meet him that he was a guitar player, which was thrilling. Did that help in the like, hey. For sure. <laughs> and uh, my friend Kathy LeClaire, Kathy Downlick, introduced and she's like, I think you're going to like this guy named Lefty. 
<laughs> and I'm like, okay. How could you not? It's very intriguing. Oh, like the first time I saw him, they were playing football, and he had like just really big hair, <laughs> and just he was just this really kind of he seemed bigger than the other guys, and he was gorgeous, of course. Of course. And you know the fact that he's a guitar player, I was just kaboom, kaboom, kaboom immediately. So did you introduce, how, how did, like, the actual, was it a blind date? Was it a, No, they were just, playing football, and we just, you know, supposedly hey, just, guys. you know, yeah, kind of went and, you know, hung out with them and, and uh, just spent maybe an hour, but I was completely smitten. And then he knew I was a singer. He didn't hear me yet. I, I don't think he heard me sing till I was maybe almost 15. And uh, actually, I think it was after I was 15, yeah. So were there... Was he in a band already? Were there he like was in a band before I was, yeah. Him and Tom Gibney were in a band, and darned if I can remember the name of it. You know, I need him here. He's half oh, my brain for that stuff. Too. Yeah, but you know, this was when we were in, in uh, like I think I was 15, and they used to play at Ruth Betts for these, these little kind of dances, these, you know, just sock high cops. school dances, saw yeah. cops. And they were, and they were great, you know. Really, uh, they were all, all good, and then, um, and then we started performing together uh, just before I was sixteen. A uh, fella came to town, Jerry Perkin, who's an amazing guitar player and a game changer. He had something called the Folk and Rock Club, and so we, we, a bunch of us joined, and our band kind of got started with that, and that was with Debbie Warren and and uh, Tom Gibney, a guy, a bass player named Gary Browner, and and uh, Branton, myself, and. And uh, finally, later on, a, a keeper player named Rick Odegarden. And we were together for over three years. And, and Jerry picked all our material, taught us all the harmony, taught the, the drummer what to do, the guitar players what to do. Like, he was a true mentor. He was kind of your Trevor Sidnick, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and he, was, he was inspiring like Trevor is, knew how to do a lot of stuff. You know, he was a, a good singer, a good drummer, a good good bass player, you know, he could really do anything, and he was pretty inspiring. Three bands kind of came out of, out of uh, Hat Not Through That, and, but we were the one band that kind of stuck. So this is in the midst, is this like Beatlemania going on now in the world? Uh, oh yeah, oh for sure, because the Beatles were happening in the 60s, and so this was happening in 19, I think our first gig was in 1971. Uh, November so this would have been like and all that stuff was that? Oh, we did, like our set was, uh, we did uh, some Rolling Stones and and we did like Big Brother and the Holding Company. Oh, yeah. We did some some uh, Yes. We did Roundabout by Yes. Like some really, that's, that's now like this was. Frog Rock, this, this is very. Yeah. This was a little later in our career. We did, of course, some Beatles and stuff like that. But, you know, really, we got to be pretty sophisticated, which is kind of what gave me, a, and, and a lot of harmony stuff which is what gave me a little bit of a heads up when I did go to Winnipeg and started singing there. So did you pick this up quickly, sort of by ear, or were you meticulous with rehearsing? Or? Um, we, we were pretty meticulous with rehearsing. I think it was a little bit of both. I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't sing harmony up until that point, and it was difficult at first. You know, it's, it's hard to sing harmony and hard to hear those parts. We were just doing straight thirds and fifths. But uh, it was me and Debbie. But uh, we we got into it, and uh, like I say, we did some some pretty sophisticated material, you know. And you guys were, was this just this school stuff, or did you guys get actually like, paying gigs? Oh, we had paying okay. gigs, man. We we played at uh, all kinds of like the trout festivals, and we we would go to Thompson. We'd play at Artie Parker. We'd play in the Paw. We played in Snow Lake. We would play for the homecomings in Snow Lake. The whole northern circuit. Oh. 
You know, I remember at the time you're, I was making about two bucks an hour at Dinbinski's, working at Dinbinski's. Oh, wow. And we would we would play a gig, and I would go home with thirty five bucks in my pocket. Oh yeah. I mean, heck, you know, we were fun. we were rich. For sure, living the glamorous life. Living the life yeah. for sure, for sure. So when was the idea that maybe we could do this as a sort of real job? Was it just kind of momentum building? That just kind of fell into place. That wasn't really a plan. I never really thought that it was really a plan of, of uh, actually being able to make a living at it. So you guys just band together and what? Because Brett said you guys went to what? like <clears throat> Northwestern Ontario? Well, that was when... So I leave Flin Flon. Uh, Lefty was working here. He had been out in the city, but he'd come back to Flin Flon. Oh. So he was working here. I went to the city. We'd had a bit of a breakup. And I went to the city and, um, and started, singing, uh, started singing with the band. Our first gig was in Kenora. And really, if I'm frank, they were just terrible. It was just a terrible group with the worst drummer you could possibly imagine. I could have drummed better than him, seriously. <laughs> and and um, so I played there for three weeks and then uh, came back to town and Lefty phoned me one night. Hey, what's going on? And I was super happy to hear from him. Oh. And so I, I finished with that band that I was with and was in kind of another band, uh, this band called Southpaw. And then, and then Brent and I started in a band together. And, and it started off as, eh, we were with that shitty drummer, but we got rid of him, got a better drummer, got a better bass player, got a better guitar player. I think Brent actually talked about some of the stuff. I had Brent Parkin and, and a really great uh, um, drummer, Ronnie Savoy, and uh, who just Gary Stefanik, my favorite bass player in the world. Um, we just had quite a quite a quite a fun time, and then I kind of got sick of the business and took a little time off, uh, and then and then jumped back in with Gramshaw. Did because this is what uh, we want, like your side of the story. Here we got Brent's side. Um, did Brent fire you from a band? Is Brent it, fired me from a band go. when I was like fourteen. The oh, bastard okay, this is... broke my heart. <laughs> this was before a power plant and. And and this is I just come back from California and I was I guess this is before my sixteenth birthday. Hold on, they're burying the lead. Did you, did you go there to sing? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I went there to visit my aunt. Oh, okay. Um, but um, so they were getting a group together, but then they found out Debbie Warren, her parents had a PA system. So oh, boom, man. I'm out and she's in. Oh my! My oh. lack of a PA system kind of got me fired. So he he gave a little walk around well what's now the Green Street Apartments and like I say crushed. My little singing heart. But we got over it. We moved past it. So did and then Debbie was too nervous to sing by oh, herself. Oh, okay, that's what I was saying. Yeah. So, you know, they couldn't really get her to sing. And finally, she was like, well, you know, so we just decided we would do it together. And, yeah. And it all worked out. Yeah, yeah, and we had a great time together. So then when you guys were sort of grown-ups, you went with this band and you did what, like the Winnipeg bar scene? Was that? Yeah. And there was a lot of bars in those days you could play at. You could, you could, you could make a living, you know, as a, as a musician, just because of the amount of bars. And you played six nights a week, which now, I mean, nobody plays Friday, six nights Saturday, a week. Uh... Yeah, exactly. Nobody gets paid six nights a week these days. So what was, this was the rock and roll lifestyle? Was This must have been quite a romantic type adventure. Uh, you know, there was some romantic moments for sure. I, I actually remember one of the funner times we had was playing in a, some dusty old bar in Dauphin. And and the rest of the band went and went back to Winnipeg every night, but Brent and I decided to stay. And you know, we just lived on room service food and watched movies all day and just had a great time. It was life on the road, Yahoo. 
So you guys then, well, he, so he so said, he he, he got said, he, he said that there was a point where he gave you like a pep talk as to are yeah. you going to do this? Are you not going to yeah. do this? Well, because remember, what, what I'd taken remember I'd taken a year off, right? Okay, and and. Um, you know, it was really, I had very mixed feelings about the business. You know, it was, it was kind of a tough business to, to be in. And, and, and back then, no makeup, you know, very, you know, simple jeans. And, you know, I was not a flashy girl at all. And, and some of the, the managers that I was working with, this is what they wanted me to do. And I, for me at the time, it was uncomfortable. And they kind of wanted me to sing material I wasn't really happy with. So I just backed off for a bit. But then had an opportunity with Graham Shaw and did go to the first rehearsal and was completely intimidated. I mean, these completely these, by, their, by the by the awesomeness of their no by the awesomeness of their talent, you know. And everybody was probably eight to ten years older than me, so I'm twenty, and they're like anywhere from twenty-seven to thirty-two. And I just really felt out of my league. And the girl that uh, was singing with Grandma Lana's around, but she's an amazing singer. And, um, and so I went home, and, I, and Brent phoned me, and I said, I don't think I'm going to do it, honey. And he got so upset. And he said, okay, don't ever talk to me about being a singer if you are not going to take this opportunity, because this is an opportunity to work with some really cool people. And obviously, they want to work with you, so just go with it. And, um, and so he, he convinced me to, you know, kind of keep, keep going. But the whole thing was pretty intimidating, but, but an amazing experience for sure. So this is like a real group. They were like, they were like the real deal. Winners or nominated? Or, yeah, yeah, they, you know, he got nominated with, with working with our group. That was when, when, we, had, when we had worked. He wasn't a, oh, wow. a, a Juno winner until we had the Sincere Serenaders with that particular group. But also, like our bass player was truly amazing he used to work with scrub locane and he worked with uh, hopkins lightning and uh or lightning hopkins and and same with our like all our musicians were just completely amazing so was this live and recorded or this was like again playing bars you know uh some of the popular bars in town and doing a little bit of road work and you know we were doing some original material but there was a lot of bands in Winnipeg in those days that were doing original material like it was mostly originals you could go any night of the week and see 10 12 15 bands playing original music and you know it was really and there was people it was a heyday like, oh completely completely and so many bars just like we were packed out wherever we went and we played a lot of it. And then we started doing more and more originals. And, and I think after we'd been together a year, we recorded a demo. I think it was a six-song demo. It was actually just before Brent and I got married. Like an EP. So I was 22, yeah. And it was really a great experience. Uh, actually, recording the demo was cooler than recording in Los Angeles. It was a better recording experience for me. And was that like with a with a producer and everything? Oh, and well, Graham was the producer, okay. but it was with you know it was at Rose Studio, which was a great studio, with uh, Howie Risen, who's just an awesome engineer in Winnipeg and still working all the time. And actually worked on he mastered uh, Jennifer's album that she oh, did with wow. Graham. And yeah, he's really a cool guy. So yeah, there was um, once we did that uh, once we did that album and, and, we and it, started, got, it got like buzz. 
it got some buzz, and we got the interest of these guys, the Bernies, Bernie Finkelstein and Bernie Fiedler, and they had quite a resume. They, between them, I think Bernie Finkelstein managed Bruce Coburn at the time, and Bernie uh, Fiedler managed um, uh, Murray McLaughlin, and I think um, Dan Hill was in there, uh, Leona Boyd was in there. Um, well, in terms of like Canadian music, these yeah, are the guys. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so they had a lot of experience. So they were the ones that got the, the record deal with Capitol Records. And so we got to go to Capitol Records in 1979 and record in one of their amazing studios at the same oh, place wow. where... The big it, building? The, 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 it no. wasn't the big building. Oh. They don't actually record there. Okay. It was... Um, <laughs> But it was, you know, it was another place, and, and you know, got to stand the Continental Hyatt, which is where the Rolling Stones threw the, the you know, the the TV out, and where where uh, the pool scene and Spinal Tap is is filmed, and and so yeah, it was it was it was a pretty cool experience that way. So did you were you able to know that this is kind of a big deal, or was oh, yeah. this sort of a oh yeah oh yeah oh no, no, no. I knew it was a big deal oh for sure. For sure, for sure. And, uh, you know, nerve-wracking, again, you know, felt completely out of my element. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those singers, because I, I do know singers that think, I am just wonderful. I've never been that kind of singer. And most of the singers that I know are not those kinds of singers. They're always singers who, ah, eh, that could have been better. Or, eh, I don't always like you're the way my voice sounds. <laughs> I'm my own world's yeah. critic, right. Your own, your, your own yeah, and so, you know, it was... Um, it was fairly, fairly daunting, and, and this place where we're recording, you know, Linda Ronstadt's recording there. I mean, I'm in the kitchen making a sandwich one day, and I just start talking to this girl about salads, and, and I sit down, and we're just talking about vegetables, and I, and I look up, and I realize, this is Linda Ronstadt I'm talking to. You know, she's, I'm just like her biggest fan, seriously. She's just and one of the... at that time, she was the huge, deal. Yeah. Huge, And her, her manager... And I don't know, because, you know, you got this kind of thing all the time. Oh, you know, come and sing back up on the road with Linda. You know, we would love to have you. This is Peter Asher, I think his name was. And, uh, but, you know, we, we didn't really take it too seriously. And we were touring with Graham, so, you know, that never really happened. But, you know, that was the kind of thing that was thrown out there. I met Jackson Brown and uh, had a wild, weird conversation with Glenn Frey from the Eagles. And oh, yeah. met uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and... Hey, I got a husband who looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> so was that that was this six EP thing? No, that was when that we was actually the did album? the album. Okay. Yeah, the first the first album, which I guess we were there for about maybe three weeks in December of seventy nine, and then for about maybe six weeks in the beginning of uh, nineteen eighty. So then, do you get to go on tour and support? Yeah, the album exactly. And, all that? and that was fun too because we got to tour with Doctor Hook. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. so we went all across Canada with Doctor Hook. Did you know? Halifax, Fredericton, Moncton, North Sydney, St. John's, Newfoundland, Ottawa, you know, Montreal, you know, just boom all the way across. So that was a really fun tour. Of course, they were in their big bus, and we had our van, you know, so it wasn't quite as... Um, so that's just living out of a suitcase, kind of that lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. But I but, uh, had support with Capitol Records, and so stayed in some really sweet places, and, and played some great concerts. Were there other women in this band? Or? Oh, yeah, that okay. was the Lennas around. Okay. Yeah. We were the backup singers, basically, and Graham did most of the songs. So do you guys form, like, a little family of, like, gypsies, basically? Yeah, yeah. And we were together for almost six years, you know, so we got very close. We did a lot of road work. And so then you guys got to go to the Juno Awards. That's right. So we, we yeah. So Graham got... Um, I think, like, Best New Artist something? or Best, best yeah, New Male something. Vocalist, yeah. yeah. And so we got to go to... Uh, got to go to to the Junos and you know it was 
the limousines and the and the, the hair on the makeup people and you know the hair on the makeup people this is just right after I don't know I think Star Wars had come on so she did my hair in fact I wanted to bring you the picture she did my hair in this very Princess Leia kind of look and when I when I got together with the band Graham looked at me and he says well you're not wearing your hair like that are you oh, oh no I know it was like what oh, yeah. and then I had a wardrobe malfunction oh, no. Did not. As the Junos, as they're filming us, I had this shawl, this kind of really pretty shawl that the CBC um, wardrobe person had lent me. And I'm playing my bongos. And as I was playing my bongos, my shawl kept falling down and trapping my arms. Oh. Where I, you know, I wasn't really free to kind of play. You used to play with the exactly. shawl. Exactly. You know, and meanwhile, like right in front, like right in front of me is Joni Mitchell and oh. Pierre Trudeau. And behind me, you know, doing the whole thing is John Candy. And I'm just thinking, and I'm thinking, hey, this is the Juno Awards, and I'm having a wardrobe malfunction. But, you know, I had enough experience then to know when the camera was on me, the, the, the red light's on, so don't switch it up when that's right. on. So once the red light would go off, I'd, I'd hike it up and yeah. miss a beat and, you know, keep going. But that was uh, that was truly a pretty pretty unique one. So were there like was there like a cool judo after party? Yes, and Joni Mitchell was there. But I was so starstruck. Seriously, I I did not say much to her. I was just seriously starstruck. And she had a she had her uh, percussion player with him with her, and and he was uh, you know wanting to talk to me about percussion stuff. And really, I knew nothing about playing bongos. Only what our drummer made me do. It was like (laughs) I know nothing. He's taught me this one beat. He makes me keep playing it. and uh, But, yeah, it was lovely. We went to a French restaurant. It was a highlight for sure, a very special sure. night, yeah. Okay. yeah. So I, I was just looking up stuff about, about Graham Shaw. He got, like, did he get a bigger deal and they just wanted him and not the band? Is that sort of what happened? That was actually at the beginning. Like, oh, when okay. we first got the deal with Capitol Records, they did not want the band to go. They wanted, like, Steely Dan's band, you know what I mean? Studio musicians. Oh, and uh, but he, you know, he really fought for us, and he's just like, no, the whole band is coming. So the whole band did come, but you know, in those days, they had the say over everything. So they had the say over, over you know, the sound of the album, the mix of the album. So you know, we recorded the parts the way we we recorded the parts, and the songs came came together. But um, you know, it was difficult. It was it was a little difficult knowing that they were not really down with us being there. It was again intimidating. Was was it because you guys were Canadian, or because no, Graham I think was they just kind of knew his own thing. They or? really wanted his songs. You know, they wanted his songs, and they wanted to kind of brand those songs, and not necessarily with a band. But he was pretty determined that you know he'd gotten you know uh, through all of this with our band, so he he. You know, he was determined to stay with us. So then, after a bit, they just, just so no. After a bit, up, <clears throat> no. After a bit, uh, he basically him and, and his managers decided that they um, wanted to break that deal. We had a two record oh, deal wow. with them, and so they broke that deal, and we went with CBS, and we did our second album with CBS. Was that California too, or no? That was in Winnipeg. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And you know, the both albums are just completely different. Yeah, like what style? Because I it's well, you know, you can't peg Graham down. Yeah, he does not I have heard a some style. Stuff and I was like, yeah, like he's, these two songs sound kind of different. He's very, very eclectic. Really, a brilliant songwriter. I mean, he's probably going to hear this, and I hate to say this, but he is. He is 
amazing. He's he's just so prolific and just so, you know, you hear a Graham song and it's just it's just well, yeah, it's kind of like. Like a more modern Gordon Lightfoot, almost sort of. Yeah, I don't know that he would appreciate that, but um, he really, you know, he's just got a wonderful sense of melody. Like if you listen to the album that Jennifer did, that's a beautiful album. There's just some absolutely gorgeous songs. And while I was not crazy about about the first album when I first when I originally heard it, um, I have learned to love that album, of course. Um, because all those songs are precious to me, but really, if I had my druthers, I would listen to that um, to the um, the extra play ahead of the first album, and and the second album, oh, it's it's also really unique and got some really great things on it, and and we had Paul O'Neill playing guitar on that, and he does some really outstanding work. And so he like wrote all the songs all himself. No, and... Graham Graham yeah, wrote Graham all the songs. Did, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, all the songs. Yeah, he's he's probably you know we probably learnt probably 60 of his songs oh, and only recorded you know 15 or actually there's there's quite a few that we recorded with cbc but that never made it onto albums so he went out like he's he's still working today he does like i or, you know i know he does he's still writing writing yeah he's working on a new album right now he's got some pretty cool guys working with him in winnipeg and i think he's hoping to get jennifer and uh you know maybe myself involved at some point uh but um He's um he's still got the great songs happening. And he's like done did he do like movie scores and stuff like that? Yeah, he's done or, movie yeah. scores, he's done um like he's commercials done, and like really amazing commercials like it's your day, you're on your way with SO. That's him. Yeah, yeah. Skippy Peanut oh, Butter. Wow. Like yeah, he was really prolific. We actually visited him in uh in Toronto when he was uh, in his big jingle writing uh scene and he had like a really cool studio and he was like uh, in his house? No, it was oh. like it was oh, a studio in oh, yeah wow. in uh, in Toronto and, and yeah he was a pretty 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 big deal. Right now I think he's just he's living in, outside of Toronto in a kind of a lake community and and he's just enjoying songwriting. I guess he can like do his own thing. He now. can do his yeah, own thing. That's a, that's and plus he, plus he did um, Theodore the tugboat. Oh wow! So he made a ton yeah. of money on that. So I think he set up pretty good ground. So that that they broke up, or he went under his own. You know, thing? he there's actually conflicting stories. Oh, right. In my mind, uh, he wanted to go on the road, and he was going to go on the road without Alan and myself. He oh. was going in a different direction. He wanted a different sound, and really, it didn't sit well with anybody. And the band ended up breaking up. And I mean, by this time, he was already moved to Toronto, and I think kind of, you know, wanting to explore that whole thing. And it was right around that time that uh, I hooked up with Rocky Rilletti. Okay, yeah. here we go. We've got this in, it's in yeah. the, the dossier And here. he was, like, completely different. Well, he's more rock star. He's, like, of... he's like quirky. Yes. Crazy. And, you know, and he always put the best bands together. And so I, I met him when I was working at a, a really fun little club called Broadway's at, at the Fort Gary. Brent and I kind of shared the DJ job. And so Pete had known me from, Peter Jordan was Rocky Belay. He had known me from, from Graham Sean. He had talked to me about, about singing with him. And so that eventually happened, and, and uh, I did a month of gigs with him to replace Kathy St. Germain, who was, who was his singer at the time. She went to Jamaica, and then when, when they came back, we ended up doing a TV show, which was another thing I was going to bring you. We did a TV show, a CBC show, um, 1030 Live. 
which we had done a series of shows over a couple of years, and all of the bands that were doing original music in Winnipeg did these shows, and they were great. I mean, we're talking live to air. And we, yeah, 10 o'clock live and 10.30 live, and just some really great, these were like 22 crew, two days of rehearsing and then that night of performing like it was a real deal and 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 really a great a great set of shows and if you go on uh, youtube you can see a lot of those shows that that well, you see with graham shaw we've got something here um, okay that's that we're going to show you this is okay that's that's with rocky related and this is seek the word is out yeah well, this this was <laughs> this was in Rocky's very very serious stage, and I was pregnant with Connor at that oh, time. Oh, so for those of you who can't, this is a YouTube. Just type in "Word is out, Rocky Lillie." You'll see uh, a young and pregnant. <laughs> uh, and my hair is actually not too different than it is now. There is a, a man with a saxophone with lapel that's, wide enough you could that's, land a plane on. That's Pat Carey, who's an amazing sax player. He's from the Paw, oh, and oh, now wow. he works with Downchild Blues Band in Toronto. That was an amazing band, and you me, you know, because my son Connor's an amazing drummer, and people say, you know, what was what was happening? How's this kid so amazing? Mm-hmm. I said I worked with the best drummers when I was pregnant. Seriously, uh, this guy Tom Justad, he's he's an amazing guy. He worked with uh, Ray Saint Germain, and now he's he's like a Toronto guy, and he's he's like one of the first call guys in Toronto. He's yeah, and worked with a guy named Eddie Chidori that was a killer killer drummer. But but those was um, that that was CKY. So the difference between those shows and the CBC those that was like a four hour shoot. That was like couple quick rehearsals and boom, away you go. What what was that show for? Ah, uh, you know I don't even remember what it was called. Because there, there's like fun, there's adults having fun. Yeah, my favorite one. And then and there's, there's word is out, and, and then, I think that we did like five or six songs. It was a whole it was a whole show, so probably six or seven songs. I think it was might have even been CKND or CKY. Well, I'm so it, it sorry. Says, it says CKY. Okay, CKY. On, on the cl- it says CKY Winnipeg temperature seventeen degrees. <laughs> yeah, and they they did a number of shows. That was just as I was kind of leaving because I left shortly after. So that was um, when I was probably four or five months pregnant. I had the baby and then left when he was six months old. So came to so you, you were like performing like nine months uh, or pretty close to that? Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, I, I performed. Uh, my last date was, I think, New Year's Eve. So it wasn't really nine months, six months. I hadn't been large. So, yeah. The sad thing about, about being pregnant working with Rocky Valetti is when I started with him, because uh, I sang with him for two years, Kathy St. Germain, and we had our two sides of the stage, and Kathy would get her guys lining up on her side of the stage, and I would get my guys lining up on my side of the stage. Once I was visibly pregnant, <laughs> I lost all my guys. Oh, my gosh. It was crushing. Right? Look over there. Well, I'm glowing, people. I'm glowing. I know. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so where was, like, Brent in all this? Brent actually, you know, Brent was never in Graham Shaw's band, but he was so close with everybody. Like, he feels like he was part of the band. With Rocky Relay, same thing. He 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 was our manager, our road manager. He did sound for us. He did monitors for us, and so he really felt like he was part of the band. So we did a lot of touring together and and a lot of gigs together. In fact, I just recently found out when we did all those TV shows, because we did the Rocky Relay show with CBC, and I think it was shows made some good money. I found out Brett made almost more money than I did. I couldn't believe it. It just is our manager. As our roadmap, 
Well, that's what Brett was telling us why I sort of got out of the business is the people on stage get paid last. <laughs> it's true. It's really true. Although we made some good money with that band. So when was this around time you performed at Massey Hall or? Massey Hall was with Graham Shaw. Yeah. And Massey Hall was a tour that we did with Chris DeBerg. The, the Lady in Red guy, yeah. which was a great tour. It was, I think we did six or seven dates with him. And it was really a fun tour, and wow, he had the best sound people. So Massey Hall was our first date with him. And and we get there, and this guy loved to sound check. Like, he he gave us about 15 minutes to sound check, and it was not good. You couldn't hear your monitors. It sounded terrible. It was just like, oh, no. So we went back to the hotel. I was like, grrr, just grumpy, and ordered my meal and got ready, but in a very grumpy manner. Got to the gig, and got on stage at Massey Hall and it was a full house which was nice never had better sound in my life it was effortless to sing I mean it was truly amazing and it was just really one of my favorite concerts of that tour and 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 with that band is that just because it was this magic night or is that just how the hall is set up I think it was both I think it was a magic night and I think they plus he had some really great sound people with him and and Brent had toured with that sound company, um, I think with the group that he was playing, and he was saying to the monitor guy, hey, my wife's in that band, make sure you treat her right. Mm-hmm. And he really did, because my <laughs> monitors were the best. Which, you know, something like that can really take you out as a singer. Mm-hmm. I was telling him, awesome. we played in Toronto once, and your monitor man, for, the, for your band on stage, that's your most important guy, right? Because you can't hear what's happening out there. You can only hear what's happening on stage. And, you know, you want to be able to hear yourself. So we caught this one guy in Toronto, and it was a really big bar and a really big stage. And so I, I cannot hear a thing I'm singing. And, you know, I want to be able to hear something. So I continue looking at the monitor man, continue looking at him, continue looking at him. But he's got his headphones on, and he's looking at his gear, and he's in his own world and happy to be there. Oh. And I finally pick up one of my egg shakers and throw it at him. This is that after like four songs. I'm like, dude, you have a job here and we, I need we, more monitors. Yeah. So I, I didn't hit him, but he did hear the sound of the, of the shakers and say, yeah. hey, what's going on? I'm like, hey, please, more monitor. So with Rocky Relay, was this how you guys got to hook up with the Pink Floyd producer? Uh, the Pink Floyd producer was with Rocky Relay. We won a contest with this crazy song called Goof on the Roof. <laughs> Sounds like a great song. You know, it really is a good song. It's actually about suicide. So you know, goof on a roof. And um, and and so what we won was a a, a basically a a recording thing. You know, to do just a single with a B A A and B side, and boom, California again. No, this is in Winnipeg. Oh wow! And this is with my favorite engineer who did our our stuff with Graham Shaw, Howie, and I. You know. How he always did a great job. He was one of my favorite engineers in the city. And this Bob Esmond guy is completely mean to him. Wow. Like, just seriously, just awful. And, you know, it was a really kind of bad vibe in the studio. And and finally I said to him, you know, we won this contest. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be this really big deal. We all love Dark Side of the Moon. Right. But come on, you know. Like, what's the problem? Let's... You know, and, you know, he was insulted, of course, and he didn't, I don't know that he took me too seriously, but he did lighten up a little bit, and him and Howie agreed that they would continue, and, but, you know, I thought, you know, this could have been so cool, mm-hmm. you know, the guy's got all this experience, and, you know, why'd you have to be such a yeah. bugger? Yeah. yeah. 
So is this Rocky Road? Did you guys play like the Red River X and stuff? Yeah. 10,000 people. So this is the big nighttime yeah. grandstand show yeah. because in, oh, wow. I, I was telling her in my in my theater days, <laughs> we got booked to play the Red River X and we thought we were, because they had like, we were going to do this little skit and we thought we were going to be like in between the big acts. We have the small yes. tent where they just keep people out of the sun <laughs> and we were like, oh, Nazareth are over there. <laughs> we played twice. The first time we played with Graham Shaw and, and really in a real world, Rocky would have performed first, and then Graham Shaw would have performed, because Graham Shaw was the one with all the, mm-hmm. the stuff and all the albums. But one of, our, one of our players couldn't make it, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Graham ended up playing first, did not have good sound, was not happy with the sound. This and is then, outside. This is outside, and, and like I say, there's like 10,000, 15,000 people there. And then Rocky played, and it was really, I mean, it was, it was Rocky's night that night. And uh, and then we played a second time. I, I guess it was probably the next year. I was pregnant with Connor again, and he he always had the craziest of ideas. So this idea, he wanted to be okay. Rocky has fallen on hard times, and he's going to be driving his milk wagon to the gig. But me and Kathy have we've been made, and of course I was free to people, and Kathy was Rita Riccatoni. We all had different names. <laughs> our 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 keyboard player was Chester Fields. <laughs> our our guitar player was Ryan Water. Our bass player was Vinny Vidovici. Like, it was a crazy band. So he wanted to make it like me and Rita Rigatoni. It just made it big. So we actually arrived in a helicopter. Oh, oh wow. No yeah, it was, like, super cool getting this helicopter, landing right beside the stage at Red River X, and then going up on stage in, in time to sing, Rocky, hurry up and get down. It was fun. And you guys did like the football stadium or the football stadium? Yeah, that was that was the, okay. that was the base. And so on that was there? Stadium. Did you guys tour with Rocky, or was that just the Winnipeg thing? No, or? we we did we did a we did some fun tours with Rocky. One of the fun tours we did, uh, again, I was pregnant, um, was uh, university tours. Oh yeah, all through like Toronto. We did two in Montreal, Ottawa, uh, London. You know, all the little places around there, mm-hmm. and I think it was like ten or twelve dates. And, was, that band's really built for that kind of audience. Yeah, yeah, and so that was really fun. And then, uh, and then we came back, and we had lost money on the, uh, on all the the expense of having to haul all our gear with the trucking and stuff. But we played in the Max Bell Arena, and Brent was our manager, and he made a really good deal with those guys. He was our he was our money guy, and he made a great deal. I think we made like seven grand that night, mm-hmm. which was pretty big money back in those days. You know, for a, just kind of a 